Good morning. Happy Easter to all of you here or those of you watching online as well. Easter, of course, for the Christian, is about the resurrection. And in the resurrection of Jesus, two things happen. Number one, death was defeated. That's the point of Jesus Christ walking the earth. It was a demonstration that death was defeated and a new kind of life was revealed in the resurrection of Jesus. A new kind of life was made available uh, to people, to the human race. The Bible, think about this, that the New Testament writers had known and loved, which of course was the Old Testament, the Bible that the New Testament writers had known and loved was like a story in search of an ending. And when Jesus Christ rose from the dead, that story, that ending was revealed. This was where the story that God was writing was headed all along, the resurrection of Jesus. If you have a copy of the Bible, I'm going to look at a passage. We have been studying in this uh, season here at Browncroft the book of 1 Corinthians, the letter of 1 Corinthians. We're going to conclude that this morning in where the Apostle Paul does, talking about the resurrection of Jesus, title of my message, Follow along as I read these words from the 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, another name for Peter, and then the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of all the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach and this is what you believed. Okay? More than anything else, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is proof of a changed life. That's what it's supposed to be. Not just, of course, Jesus who rose from the dead. Many people saw him. We learn from this passage, hundreds of people Right? And hundreds of people still alive at the time of this writing saw Jesus Christ. But what it should be for you, this, I'm asking this question today to you and to me, 2,000 years later, sitting in this room. The proof of the resurrection, the ultimate proof of the resurrection is a changed life. Your life and my life. Now we're celebrating, of course, today 
the resurrection of Jesus. But most of this chapter, we're not going to read it all, all 58 verses is not talking about the resurrection of Jesus. It's based on the resurrection of Jesus. But most of this very long chapter is talking about my resurrection, your resurrection. The, the, the question being answered in this very long chapter is, Paul, to the apostle, what will, well, how is the resurrection going to affect me? What's going to happen after I die as a follower of Jesus? Am I just going to be floating somewhere? Is there life after death? What does it look like? This is the answer, uh, or, or what Paul's trying to answer in this long chapter. What does the resurrection mean for you as a Christian? What does the resurrection mean for me as a Christian? But before he gets there in this long chapter... He wants to say a few words about himself. He mentions in this passage the resurrection and the witnesses. Jesus rose from the dead. Many people saw him. He even mentions the 12. You see this in the Gospels. He came to the 12 apostles. He came to James. But then he says, listen, I too, well, I too had an appearance. End of verse 8. Last of all, he appeared to me. This was interesting. What the Apostle Paul is saying here. Those of you who know your New Testament know that between the resurrection of Jesus happens at the end of the Gospels, and the ascension of Jesus, his ascending into heaven, you see this in Acts chapter 1, those of you who know the story, there's 40 days. And in those 40 days, the book of Acts mentioned 40 days where, that Jesus was walking the earth before he ascended. Many, all of the appearances that we know about, he, 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 grew, he appeared to a, f- a small group here. He appeared to a small group here. He appears you know, to, at, at, with, to his disciples when they're meeting for a meal. And then Paul even mentions here, it's the only time it's mentioned, he says, many people, up to 500 at once, there's some event that we don't know about, he appeared to them. But all of those appearances happened, as far as we know from the New Testament record, in those 40 days except one. And that one is mentioned here in verse 8. Paul says, listen, He appeared to all these other people, but when Jesus Christ rose from the dead, the Apostle Paul, the guy who wrote 13 of the New Testament letters, he was not a follower. So Jesus didn't appear to him, but he said sometime later, it's recorded in Acts chapter 9, whether this was months, uh, you know, maybe a couple years later, Acts chapter 9, Jesus Christ appears to the Apostle Paul. Last of all, he appeared to me also, now listen to this, as to one abnormally born. Now what does that mean? The term, abnormally born, the term, the underlying word that's used here is a derogatory term. Paul is, is, and it's believed that Paul is sort of quoting this congregation. If you were to have read these two letters carefully, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, you would see he had an imperfect relationship with this congregation. They were criticizing him, and they said to him many times, they compared him to the other apostles, and they kind of said, gee, we wish you were like Peter. We wish you were like John. We wish you were like these other people that are more, let's call them, you know, better speakers. There's a verse in 2 Corinthians where they said, Paul says, he quotes their letter to him, and he says, I know you think in person I'm not very impressive. I'm not all that good looking. He says, I know that you think I'm not a very good communicator. So Paul, it seems, is being sort of tongue-in-cheek here and saying, listen, even though I'm not one of the twelve, even though Jesus didn't appear to me between the, uh, his resurrection and the ascension, he appeared to me also as one abnormally born. Some commentators say it's kind of like he's saying, uh, the, the, a loose translation would be kind of freakish. I'm, so, I'm a bit of a freak. And Paul wants to say, you know what, I agree with you. 
congregation. He's being kind of tongue-in-cheek. I am a little bit freakish, but I'm not freakish because I lack charisma, which he may have lacked, but I'm freakish because I was choked. Jesus Christ did appear to me. He did extend his forgiveness to me. Not only did he extend his forgiveness to me, but if you look at the passage in Acts chapter 9, Jesus meets Paul, and when he meets him, Paul was actually a mercenary out hunting down people who were Christians. He was not just disinterested in the things of Jesus. He was against the ways of Jesus. He, as a mercenary, on assignment from the Jewish leadership, he hunted down Christians in foreign cities, had them thrown in jail, and even stood and saw them put to death. Acts chapter 7. And Paul says, listen, Jesus Christ came to me someone who was an enemy of the ways of God, an enemy trying to seek out and stamp out the Christian church. And he came to me, Acts chapter 9, he never said a word to me about my behaviors. He simply said, Paul, I have a purpose for you. I want you to go in the city and it will be told to you what you will do. He received God's forgiveness, Acts chapter 9. He was filled with the Holy Spirit of God, and God gave him something important to do. And out of that amazing encounter comes the theology of God's grace. Three times mentioned. He said, listen, I'm not special. I'm not good looking. I'm not made for TV preacher. But let me tell you what I am. I am what I am by the grace of God. I'm a child of God and I am your pastor. Listen to these words. Here's the theology of grace given in another letter. First Timothy. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. All right, Paul's giving his testimony. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Now why does he say that? Because when Jesus Christ met him, he was a mercenary out hunting down, throwing in jail, and even seeing Christians killed. I am the worst. But for that very reason, in other words, God chose me to make a point. I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, said it for a second time, Jesus Christ might display his immense patience as an example for those, that's you and me and others, who would believe in him and receive eternal life? Paul didn't have a great resume. He wasn't a made-for-TV preacher, but he said, listen, I'm a child of God, and I'm your pastor, okay? That's, if you met me, okay, as your pastor, if you came to me when I was in high school and said, Rob, um, I'm, I'm a prophet. I'm going to tell you something. You are going to be a committed follower of Jesus, uh, in your life, I wouldn't have even really had an honestly a serious category for what you meant by that. But if you would have said to me, Rob, you're not going to only be a committed follower of Jesus, you are going to be a pastor, I would have thought you were crazy. Like you were telling me I was going to be an astronaut, okay, if you were to say that. I had a guy, this happens to me all the time, I, I, I was from this town. And people say to me, you know, I run into people and they go, what? You do what? And this happened to me just literally this week because it's Easter week. I was in, in, in my, my locker room, the gym, and I was talking to this guy who I've talked to a hundred times, always just in the gym. The only, I've never seen him outside of the gym. Talked to him a hundred times. We're in the locker room. And we somehow we got talking about this weekend, 
and, and he, this man is actually Jewish, but he's married to a, a woman who's a Catholic, so he has some orientation to the, to the Christian faith. And he said to me, hey, so-and-so told me, okay, we've never brought this subject up, that you're a pastor. I said, yes. I mentioned Browncroft Community Church. And then he did something that was so bizarre. He hugged me. <laughs> I mean, we are in the locker room. And I thought to myself, either he's saying that to encourage me or because he feels sorry for me. <laughs> I don't know. But here's the point, guys. This is what I'm saying to you. I can say to you what the Apostle Paul says here. Okay? I am what I am by the grace of God. I am one of these people God has shown mercy as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Allow me to show you quickly or share with you quickly another example from this church. Guy came into this church about my age, about a year ago. His name is Chris Bacon. Maybe you know him. And Chris um, came into this church after living much of his life, and he came to know Jesus Christ as his Savior in this room. August of last year, he was baptized right here. And when you get baptized, you sort of share your testimony. And I asked him if I could share some of it this morning. This is what he said. Before I knew Christ, my life was a mess. I was in a marriage that lacked love and understanding from both sides. I was caught up in a day-to-day -day chaos, worry, stress, money, and kid problems, and a whole host of other issues clouding my perspective. I don't even know if I'm able to describe how I felt back then. In my heart, I could feel something was missing, but I never made time to discover what that was. I was trying and failing at being a father and a husband, and I knew that I had to do better, at least for the sake of my kids. A couple of years ago, I find myself alone and decided that my walk with Jesus was up to me to pursue. I started reading parts of the Bible and slowly began to realize that I was unconditionally loved by God just as I am. Whoever I am, wherever I've been, whatever I've done, I'm already loved and accepted. I was well on my way to accepting Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and there was just one more step, baptism. The only problem was that I didn't know if I was worthy of being baptized. Could I live up to Jesus' standards? What made me good enough to be in God's presence? As it turned out, being a child of God was the only requirement. And I was prepared to humble myself before him, to obey his command, and to publicly profess my faith in Jesus and accept him as my Lord and Savior. That grace that I received when I accepted Christ as my Savior has changed my heart and life. Through grace, I was freed from feeling I've had to hide from my sin from him. God's grace enables me to be all he's called me to be. Because of grace, I no longer need to compare myself to others or feel, feel God has blessed them more. I no longer need to live in shame. Amen? Chris is back there on the camera. We just say a quick hello to you, Chris. Thank you for allowing us to share your testimony with us this morning. The gospel made complete by the resurrection is a word of radical grace. It's not about what you must do. It's about what has been done for you. It changed Paul's life. 
It changed my life. It changed Chris's life. It can change your life too. Second, the resurrection. You too, the Bible says, to the point of this chapter, will be resurrected. This is the question he's really answering in this passage. They're asking Paul, listen, what about me? What does it mean that Jesus Christ rose from the dead? We understand that death was defeated, but Paul said, listen, it's also going to reveal a whole different kind of life. It's going to reveal a different quality of life that's available to you. This is the question he's answering. Verse 44, later in the chapter. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, a name for Jesus, a life-giving spirit. Verse 49, and just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, made in God's image, so we shall bear the image of the heavenly man, the risen Jesus. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, a metaphor for death, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised, imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must must clothe itself with imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. Listen, if you are a Christian today, you've heard this term, you've been given eternal life. Okay? For as many, you know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall have eternal life. Eternal life is not a, is not a time word. It's talking about a quality of life. And that life, if you are a Christian, begins today. Right? We have this life in us today. We await the redemption of our bodies not from our bodies, okay? The Bible says Jesus Christ, when he comes, when he will transform our lowly bodies, this imperfect one, to be like his glorious body. Jesus Christ could have died and went to heaven and never brought it up. We could have just said, listen, God sent his son to die for your sins. Believe and be saved. But Jesus Christ and the providence of God walked the earth for 40 days, to, make a, to say something to humanity, to say something to you and me, to be a living illustration, not only to say death was defeated once and for all, but this is what it's going to look like. You too will have a glorious body just like his body. Okay, In a culture that evades telling the truth about death, ours, that avoids talking about death at all costs, that does everything we can to pretend it's not coming, to everything we can to stay young, right? The teaching of the resurrection of Jesus Christ comes as a blast of fresh air, or it should. To proclaim the resurrection of Christ is to declare God's triumph over death and therefore gives new meaning and purpose to life today. Chris said this also in his write-up. On a day-to-day basis... I seek out God's word now and do my best to abide by his words. I choose happiness over sorrow because I know that is what 
he would want for me. In other words, he knows he has this new life today. And he knows, because he believes the word of God, he knows where this is going. He knows that when Jesus Christ returns, his lowly body is going to be transformed to be a perfect, eternal body like the body of Jesus. And it's changed the course of his life, and it ought to change yours, and it ought to change mine. Okay? The resurrection is proof of a changed life. The resurrection means you too will be resurrected. And finally, the resurrection says, this passage says, what you believe really matters. What do you really believe about the resurrection? What do I really believe about the resurrection? Let me say something about this book, 1 Corinthians. It was written about 20 years after these events that took place, the death and resurrection of Jesus. It's believed by many scholars that the book of 1 Corinthians was one of the first, if not the first, of the letters of the New Testament written. Okay? It's one of the first letters of the New Testament, which means, in Paul, that's what Paul's saying here. He's saying, listen, what I preached to you, what I received, verse 3, I passed on to you of first importance. Paul says, listen, I didn't make this up. I received this information, the gospel, very simple, said in a couple verses. Jesus died, he rose. I received it. Who did he receive it from? Well, he received it from the 12 apostles. He received it, Galatians chapter 1, from the revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul said, listen, I'm just simply giving to you what I received. Now, why is it important to point out? Because it means that what we have here is what was taught in the earliest days of the church. Right? This is what was taught in the earliest days of the church before anything was added before anything was de-emphasized or before anything was emphasized, right? We talk about the church. Well, I just want to get back to what was really taught. That's what Paul's trying to say. You want to know what they were teaching in the church when it first started? It's right here. That's what Paul's saying. I'm simply passing on to you what has been given to me. So I, I, I want to ask and answer the question for us today. What is the core of what Christians believe? That's what you have here. It's very straightforward. What is the core of what Christians believe? Let's start with what is. It's not a set of ideas. I don't see 12 practices, 12 habits. It's not a set of ideas. It's, a, it's not a spiritual path or a ladder that you need to climb. Right? It's not a ser series of moral imperatives. Listen, it's not a political agenda. I don't find that here either. It's good news about an event that actually happened in the world, which is why what he says here is, listen, read carefully the words that we just read. He said, listen, Jesus died, Jesus rose, and many people, over 500 people at one event saw this. Of course the 12 apostles saw this. He said, many of these people have died, but a majority of them are still alive. And he's saying to these people here, listen, if you don't believe me, go ask them. Okay? Go ask them. This really happened. And because this event, because of this event, listen, the world has never been the same. We're still talking about this 2,000 years later. And all those who believe in it, they will never be the same. What is it, Rob? Listen very carefully. It's pretty straightforward. What I received, I passed on to you. Now listen carefully. That Jesus Christ died for our sins now listen to this. According to the scriptures. 
Now, what's he talking about? Well, he has to be talking about the Old Testament. The New Testament didn't exist yet. So how do I, what does he mean? That, that Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Now, he doesn't put chapter and verse here, but it's not too difficult if you know anything about your Old Testament, right? There's a whole book in the Old Testament, a whole book. It's called the book of Leviticus. And the entire book is about the worship system of Israel. Let me give it to you in a nutshell. Every single day in the course of the Jewish calendar, people came and brought animal sacrifices, right? Lambs and doves and, and, and rams, and they brought them. Why did they do that? Because in the tabernacle and then in the temple, it represented the holy presence of God. And God is, it says he lives in unapproachable light in the perfection of God, and all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And for a thousand years, it was burned into their memory that the only way to get close to God was through sacrifice. And they took that animal and they slit its throat. And his blood was spilled as a proxy before a holy God. And John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Okay? Jesus Christ died for your sins. He was a spotless lamb. It's a metaphor. It means he was a perfect man. He, he lived a perfect life in line with perfect compliance with all of the Old Testament laws, he lived the life that you should have lived, that I should have lived, and then he died as the ultimate sacrifice. The Lamb of that's what he's saying. And then he rose from the dead in a forever body to declare that death was defeated. One pastor I know said this, when Jesus Christ rose from the dead, it was God's receipt on the purchase of your sins. When you look at him, you see that God's saying, listen, it's finished, it's done. So let me say this. How do I apply this message, right? The resurrection, the resurrection, it means the, it's the proof of the resurrection is a, is a changed life. You too will be resurrected, but what you believe matters. Let me, let me take just a minute and address Christians. How does this message apply to Christians? If your faith over the course of your Christian life has become focused on something more than the gospel, right? Which we have it right here. Paul doesn't talk about politics here. Paul doesn't talk about this, you know, all the kinds of things that we want to talk about, all the kind of things that get confused and, and become to be. If your faith has become focused on something other than this, it's time to realign your faith. What does he say? Don't believe in vain. I want you, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to remind you of what I've preached to you. And on this you take your stand. The gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to what I preach to you. So I would say to us Christians, if your faith has become focused on something more than the death and resurrection of Jesus, something other than the resurrection of Jesus, maybe this is your time, your moment to renew your faith, to take your stand on the death of Jesus Christ, that he died for your sins, all of them. And that he rose with a new quality of life and he says, this can be your life too. And it begins today. Okay? And if there's something else you've been holding on to, if something else has come to define your faith, it's time to let it go. It's time to put it down. Okay, that's what he's saying. Now for non-Christians, that is, or, or someone who's a, who didn't walk into this room 
And you'd say, you know, I didn't walk into this room. I, I didn't have a faith. Or I have a faith or I think I have a faith, but it hasn't changed my life. Let me tell you something. This is what matters. That's what Paul's trying to say. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. And he says it because if you read this book, there's so many subjects, so many questions. They go so far afield, this, this congregation. And Paul's saying, listen, let me draw you back to what's of first importance. What you need to know, the only thing you need to know, the most important thing you need to know. I would go on to say, listen, it's the only thing that really matters. That Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came on a rescue mission into this world, just like he came to Paul. But he came to Paul, he met him. Paul was, was, a, was an enemy. He never even brought it up. He said, Paul, I love you. I forgive you. I'm filling you with the Holy Spirit. I have a job for you to do. Right? He kissed him awake. He loved him. It wasn't about what he did or didn't do. Okay? God, Jesus Christ died for your sins. He rose. That's what matters. And if you decide to open your heart to him today, right here in this moment, you too can be a child of God. Because you can't. What is grace? Three times he mentions grace. Let me just be very clear about this. I am what I am by the grace of God. What is grace? It's unmerited favor. That's kind of a fancy way to say it. It means it's unearned. It's not deserved. Think about that. Many people, I thought this for many, I thought when you be a Christian is you kind of climb some kind of ladder. It's a deal with God. Clean up your act and I will meet you, so, I'll meet you in the middle. That's not, what the, that's not what grace is. That's why Paul said, of all people, it's a paraphrase of 1 Timothy 1, God chose me, the worst of sinners, the last person you'd ever expect to be a Christian or for that matter a minister. He did to make a point. That you get into the kingdom of God not because of the way you live your life, not because of what you do, not because you earn some kind of favor or you deserve it, but because of God's grace and love. That's why. That's all. That's the only way anybody gets in. So, I want to encourage you, I want to invite you into a life-changing relationship with Jesus if you don't have one today. Listen to these words, not mine. Romans chapter 10. If you declare with your mouth, the Apostle Paul, same guy, Jesus is Lord, right? You're opening your life that Jesus is, you're, to say, Jesus, I want you to be the Lord of my life. And believe in your heart, that's all that's required, that God raised him from the dead. Now, why does he mention that? Because the resurrection is the completion. It's a demonstration that your sins have been paid for. It's ultimately the receipt of God's great work in your life. If you believe that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with the heart that you believe and are justified. Say, it's not about what you do, it's about believing. And it is with your mouth, in a sense, your prayers, that you profess your faith and you are saved. That's all it takes. Amen? So let's pray. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. Let's just, let me give, just take a minute to pray with those, anyone in this room, or even listening to me online, you'd say, Rob, I did come in here this morning, and I've certainly heard of the Christian faith before, but I always thought it was a kind of spiritual path, some kind of ladder that you climb. 
maybe even some kind of agenda. But I've come to understand that the gospel is very, very straightforward. It's really about that Jesus Christ died for my sins. He stood in my place. He died in my place. He was, his blood was shed for my sins, all of them. And he rose from the dead to demonstrate to me that sin was defeated, my sin was paid for, and I want to receive him as my Lord, my Savior. I want to say in my heart, Jesus is Lord. All you need to do is pray and ask in your own words something simple like this. Dear God, I thank you for sending Jesus into this world to die for my sins and to forgive me of all of my sins, past, present, and future. And I receive this gift today by faith. Be my Lord, be my Savior. If you prayed that prayer, I want you to just lift your hand up in this room. No one's looking around but me. Thank you. Thank you. Just up high. Thank you. God and Father, I pray for every man and woman in this room, those in particular who may have opened their lives to you now. Lord, may your word go forth, not turn void, not return, but what return effective. Open hearts, touch minds, what you did for me many years ago, what you did for Chris last year, what you've done for many, many people. May you send forth your Holy Spirit into their hearts, into their lives today. Lord, we pray. And Lord, help the rest of us here too, those of us who are Christians, to be renewed and reminded what the gospel is. May we take our stand today in the love and grace of Jesus who died for us and who's calling us to live a a life with the power of the resurrection. We ask this in Jesus' name.